comments I made, the two comments I'm going to talk about today, and, and this is not the message. My effort was to remove an excuse that we white people tend to have for not really listening. And one of the, one of the, one of the answers we often, are often given is, well, all lives matter. And although that's obviously true, that's not the issue here. When you have a whole segment of our society, a whole segment of a church that's been pressed down, that's been, that's been living in fear and intimidation, that's what needs to be heard, that their lives matter. And my point was, when we say all lives matter, although that's true, that can be an excuse for saying, well, yeah, all lives matter. But in this situation, we need to recognize that a whole segment of our society need to know, and the, our society needs to know, that black lives matter. So I was not in any way attempting to water that down. That's exactly the truth. And so I want to make sure I'm very clear on that. So all I was trying to do was take away an excuse from some people for saying, yeah, all lives matter. Well, yeah, all lives matter. But right now in this situation, is we need to focus on black lives matter because they haven't mattered as much as other lives have mattered. And until they do, we need to emphasize that. The second thing was similar to that. I made a comment about one of the comments that's made as, a, as, a, as, a, as an answer to that. Well, that's really a form of reverse ra- racism. It's not. Racism is the conscious putting down of one race of people to exalt another race of people over them to the point that that race that's being put down feels intimidated and is even brutally treated as we've seen brought, highlighted over the last few weeks. And, and I have never felt, as a white person, any of that. So racism, this is not re- reverse racism. This is trying to focus on what has been not just something wrong with this nation, not just a problem, not just something... It, it is, and I said it as clearly as I could last year, last week. Racism, in God's eyes, is sin. And it can be described no other way. It's a horrible sin. And so this is what I am encouraged because I really believe we're coming to a time when the conscience of a nation may be wakening. But more importantly, it has to be the conscience of the church because we are the vehicle of change that God has ordained for, for a nation and for the world. And the laws of the land are important. I was a lawyer for 20 years. The laws are important, but it's ultimately a change of hearts that has to come about. And, and the witness of that and the power to do that has to come through the church. And the wonderful thing about God is He brings people together of different races and differences. And we talked a lot about that last week. And the challenge, the opportunity we have is that we can grow together to learn to understand our differences and care about what our brothers or sisters are going through. Then we can become a witness to the world of what the love of Christ is like. And that's really what was my intention to talk about last week. And I'm going to get into it from a little different perspective this morning. So before we do, let us, we didn't do this last week, I want to pray, whoops, wrong notes. I want to pray the prayer, Unite 714 prayer. And, uh, and then we're going to pray for our nation also on top of this. So I'm going to ask you to join me if you have this at home with you. If you don't, <clears throat> excuse me, download it. Otherwise, just agree with me in prayer. Again, for those of you who've been tuning in or here and didn't, don't know what we're doing. When this COVID-19 pandemic started, there were a group of church leaders that began a movement that really has grown around the world to tens of thousands of churches 
out of ministries that every week are praying the same prayer together. And so this is the prayer for this week. And I'll give you the scriptures that is based on Isaiah 28, 23 through 26. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter and do so cumin and put in wheat and rows and barley in its proper place? And emmer, whatever that is, as the border. For he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. Acts 1, 8. But you, when you receive power from the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, as we know that even in the midst of pain and loss of COVID-19, the Holy Spirit is at work. This terrible pandemic is being used to soften the spiritual crust over the hearts of the world's people. What the enemy has meant for evil has actually served to deeply plow our own hearts, as well as those of our fellow citizens. Only you, God, can bring redemption out of destruction. Amen to that. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask that the hearts of men and women and children around the world be freshly opened to the message of the gospel. And this applies not only to COVID-19, but to all this racial stuff we're going through right now. Lord, we thank you for the seasons of plowing and harrowing that do not last forever. In this hour, many of our friends, neighbors, and loved ones have become more receptive to the gospel. It's time for us to go and sow. Give us the love and wisdom we need effectively to sow the seeds of the gospel into the broken lives of those around us. Heavenly Father, fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit's power so that we can boldly proclaim your word. Lord, as your spirit is freshly poured out on your world, we ask that you continue to mitigate COVID-19. We pray for your protection over doctors, nurses, first responders, and all those who serve the public day by day. And we also ask that you grant supernatural wisdom to those working to develop a vaccine. However, as much as we are grateful for the health and care of our professionals, our hope is ultimately in you. Therefore, we rise up united in prayer with one voice, saying, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, please eradicate COVID-19 from the earth and heal our lands. Let's go on and pray and a couple of other things. Father... You've also called us and ordained for us to pray every time we come together for our leaders and those in authority. Lord, we're not coming to you to speak to you today of whether they're right or wrong, whether we like them or don't like them, whether we agree with them or do not agree with them. But we are called to obey you this morning by praying for those that, you, that are serving in positions of authority that you have created. So we pray, first of all, for our president and all of those that are in national leadership, the leaders of our House and the leaders of our Senate. Father, that you would help them all to recognize that they are serving in a position that you have ordained and you have called and that the responsibility that you've given to them is for the good of this land and for your people. And Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of their understanding, that they would see what is your calling for their lives that serve in that place. And as they do, Father, we pray that you would give each of them your wisdom, your grace, your understanding, Father, and surround them with men and women who will have godly counsel for them, especially those that know you and know the voice of your Spirit. We pray for our local leaders, Father, for Governor Romando and Governor Baker and those that help them and assist them, Father, for your continued wisdom and grace to understand what to do to lead us through these difficult times. 
We pray for our pastors, Father, in this area as they lead their congregations, not just through these difficult times, but to carry out your purpose and your will, that you would give them, each of them, strength and grace and understanding and discernment to know what to do, what to say, and how to lead the people that you have entrusted to them. And now we pray for our land, Father. This nation, Father, we pray that you would bring not just a healing, but you would bring a a spirit of understanding and of compassion, that you would use these horrible events that have happened over these last few weeks and for a much longer time before, and you would shake us, Lord, in our hearts, that we become awake to what matters to you, and what matters to you is people of every race, of every color, of every nationality, of every age. You love all of them. Christ came to die for the world. And Father, we're asking you to bring wholeness and healing and reconciliation, first of all, within this church and within your church and then within this nation. We pray for everyone that's leading, Father, that has a voice of authority into whatever groups of influence that they have, that they would speak with your voice and with your heart. We take authority over Satan and his effort to work through a division within your church and within this nation. And we declare to you that the love of God is more powerful than any divisiveness or any strife or any hatred that you can bring. And we speak the love of Christ, the love of God over this situation. And we declare that that love will prevail in the end. For love never fails. And now, Father, as we turn our attention to the word that I believe you've put in my heart, your word tells us that the Holy Spirit has been given to us because there are things our eyes have not seen, that our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for those who love him. But your word goes on to say, but the Spirit searches the depths of your heart to reveal these things to us. And Father, if there's anything that we've ever desperately needed your Spirit to pull out of your heart and to reveal to us, it is your love for us. And so, Father, as we enter into this Word today, I rest myself in you and trust myself to you as best I know how, that to yield to your Spirit, that I would only say what you would have me say, that I would only, only, only think what you would have me think, and that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what your Spirit is saying to Faith Christian Center today. And for that we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been talking uh, on and off and more on than off, although the last few weeks we've been distracted a little bit. We've been talking about who is this God that we serve? And and because we form images of Him, and those images are formed by our backgrounds. Some of you were raised in a Catholic church. Some of you went through Catholic school, and that formed an image in you of what this God was like. You may have been raised by parents that were very religious, and they formed images in you of what what God is like. You may have not been raised in church at all, and you may have not even had a father, or you may not even have parents that, that you knew or had very good influence in you, Still, that helps create an image in you of what God is like. And what we've learned is that God wants us to know what He's like. And you can't, we can't possibly know everything there is about, to know about God because He's limitless. But He has given us His 
word, the Bible, and one of the purposes of that word is for God to reveal to us what he wants us to know about himself. And we looked at stories in the Old Testament how God appeared to Israel once he brought them out of Egypt and he came down on a mountain and he revealed certain things about himself to them. And then we've looked how he revealed himself to Isaiah the prophet and we've seen different characteristics that God has revealed about himself and as I was thinking about that, each one of these is basically an, an adjective. God is holy. We talked about that the last time. God is, is, is self-existent. That's an adjective. God is, is a, 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 God is a covenant-keeping God. We saw that God is a God that partnerships, partners with us. So all of these are, are adjectives about God. They describe aspects of God, characteristics of God. And I was about to move on from the subject when it suddenly hit me, I'd missed the most important one of all. And what we're going to talk about today is not some characteristic of God. What we're going to talk about today is not some feature of God, because all of the rest of these refer to some character He has, part of His personality, or things that God does. But what we're going to talk about today is who God is in His essence and in His core. And this determines everything we know about God. Without an understanding of this, you will never really understand why God does what He does. You'll never really understand what God is doing, and you'll never really be able to truly follow Him and serve Him because you, won't, you cannot know Him unless you understand what we're going to talk about today. This is the very core of who He is. 1 John 4, verse 16. And this letter is written by the apostle who knew Jesus best. This is the letter is written by the apostle who at the Last Supper was, because they, they reclined around a table, who was reclining there with his head on Jesus' chest. This is the apostle to whom Jesus entrusted his mother when he was hanging on the cross. And he writes these words, We have known and believed the love that God has for us. And this is the key. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And it's so easy to read over that verse and miss the depth of what the Holy Spirit is saying. He's saying three things we need to know. And just keep that verse up there. Three things we need to know. First of all, we need to know God loves God is love. Secondly, we need to believe God is love. And third, we need to abide in that love. But let's start out talking about the core of this. God is love. Let's talk about what that's not saying. That's not saying God has love. That's not saying God is full of love. That's not saying God acts in love. That's not saying God loves. Those are all verbs, and they're true, but this is a net, love here is a noun. This is who God is. And you can reverse it. You can say not only God is love, but love is God. And we'll see that in a few minutes. So this is what we're going to talk about today. God, at His very core, His very nature, 
is love. Now, there's one thing about understanding somebody's nature. It can't change. So that everything God does, everything God says, everything God doesn't do, everything God doesn't say, because sometimes it's what God doesn't say to us that's important. Everything God does, everything God says, everything God thinks, ultimately can only be motivated by His love for us. Because to do anything else, God would have to step outside of His nature. And that's so important because we often interpret what God is like through the experiences we go through. So we pray something and we don't see an answer. We begin to assume certain things about God because we didn't see what we thought was an answer to our prayer. Or one of the most basic questions is why do bad things happen to good people? And we start, whether we think about it or not, we start interpreting what that means about God's, what God is like. Gentlemen, can you get rid of that low battery notice up there because I can't read the time and I'll just keep going on till tonight. So, <laughs> and none of us want that. Thank you. All right. So, it's, this is so important to understand because God cannot out outside of His nature. Now, there's sometimes we think God is acting outside of His nature, but that's because we may not really understand what that nature is. And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about today. So there are three things we need to look at up first. We need to, we need to know that God is love. And, and so the, to begin with, we're going to talk about what this love is like. It's very different than the love that we know as human beings. The, the, the original language in which the New Testament is written is a form of Greek called Koinine Greek. It was the common Greek of the day. And I believe that one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit chose that language, it was a very precise language. And here's a good example of that. In English, we have one word for love that they have five words for it. So I can say I love peanut butter and I love my wife, but I better not mean the same thing. Right? But in Greek, those would have been two very different words. So there are five basic words, and there's actually, I think, a sixth, but there's five basic words that are used in Greek to communicate. So there, right away we have a problem. Because when we talk about God is love, whether you're conscious of it or not, somewhere in your mind, what love means to you is what begins to filter up and begins to flow through your mind. And what we're going to talk about, God, you'll filter through that understanding of what love is. So if you grew up in a wonderful, loving household where your parents stayed together and they just poured love and acceptance out on you and their mother and father were madly in love with each other and all that, then you have a concept of love that is very different than somebody that grew up in an abusive situation or where they were just abandoned. You have a different concept of love. And it's important to talk about this because what we're going to go to talk about God, we have to throw all of that out. Because God's love, the word for love that's used in the New Testament for God's love is a unique love word. It was not used very often in Greek 
before the New Testament because the New Testament, what Christ is and what He did has really defined what that word means. So we have to understand the distinction to begin with. Human love, the very best of human love, is still, at its essence, selfish. It's still, at its essence, based on self. I mean, I'm still, God's opening my eyes to see how much my love for my wife still ultimately has me at the core. And how much my love for God still ultimately has me at the core. I want to love God so He's pleased with me. I want to obey God because I want to get a reward when I get to heaven. And that's good, but it's ultimately not what this kind of love is about. And we have to know that distinction in order to be able to understand, to receive the love that God has for us. Because we're going to immediately transfer our understanding of love when it says God loves you to that kind of love. God loves you the way we love one another. Even in the best example of that love, it's not the same thing. So first of all, it is based, and this is one of the basic differences, the love that God, the Greek word is agape. And that word means that, that it's, it's, it goes, I don't, want to have time, I don't have time to go back to the beginnings of the word. But the word basically started by meaning that it, it, was an art, it was looking at beautiful art and seeing, getting a feeling when you looked at that art. Now that's more like human love. But the word gradually developed over time an, an internal look at something. And I want, I want to show you, instead of trying to explain it, let me go to a verse. Isaiah 43. God is talking to Israel here, but it applies to us. <clears throat> Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Now, in our case, he gave his son for us. But what I want to focus on, he says, since you were precious in my sight. Now the term precious, as I was meditating on this one day, I began to realize the word precious is not based on what you're looking at or what seems precious to you. But it's how I look at it. I'll give you a great example. You know that uh, Anita and I have a dog, Molly. And Molly's precious to us. But Molly may be a nuisance to some of our neighbors. Molly tends to bark at people that go by, especially dogs that go by. And so that same dog, that same cute little dog is precious to us, can be a nuisance to somebody else, and it's the same dog. So what makes Molly precious to us is not something about Molly, it's something about us and how we see Molly. Another example. Uh, you may have a family heirloom. So maybe your mother or your grandmother had a brooch or a pin or, or something, all right? And, and that may be very precious to you or to your family because of who it used to belong to. But in and of itself, it's just a piece of costume jewelry. It's just a piece of something. Best example of that are yard sales. My junk becomes your treasure. I got some, you want it? <laughs> My junk, it's the same stuff. The difference is it no longer has value to me and you come along and say, whoa, 
that's only five bucks. It now has value to you. But the thing itself didn't change. So the point is God's love for you, for me, or for anything or anyone is based on what He's like, not on the intrinsic value that you and I have. So the very beginning of this love is it comes out of God by His nature. And this love is eternal. It cannot, he cannot stop it because it's his nature. Anything else he could change, but he can't change his nature because then he's no longer who he is. So that means no matter how, what you've done or not done, how you fail, he cannot stop loving you because it's his nature to love you. This is so important to understand because everything in our world is based on being loved somehow by measuring up. Being loved somehow by being giving attention to. And as I said before, we transfer that over to God. So the most amazing thing to me, and it's, I've seen it, in, in, is that how good Christian families can raise children that are afraid of God, that don't love Him and want to serve Him. Somehow we transfer to them an image of God that's not a godly image. And is it possible because we've lived our lives as Christian parents, and this is not everybody, of trying to live up to some standard to please God so that He accepts us, and then we've subtly communicated that to our children? Is it then that we've really not understood this love that God is, not just has? Ephesians 3, we'll get back to this. Paul or Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. We're going to just take a part of it here, verse 18 and 19. He's praying for the church for exactly what we're going to talk about today, that they would have a revelation of the love that God has for them through Christ. And so he prays that they would be able to comprehend, understand, grasp with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that's head knowledge, that you may be filled with all of His fullness. Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus and for the church in general, and this is my prayer been for you, for my family, for me, is that God would begin to reveal to us the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. That speaks of how far wide His love is willing to go to the ends of the earth, how, how deep His love is willing to go, and how high His love is willing to go. I've told the story before that I heard told by T.L. Osborne. Some of you that have been around for a while know who he was, and many of you don't. He was a worldwide evangelist. I, I don't have time to go into it, but this man, miracles f- formed through him, and he did amazing, he did, uh, uh, well, I don't have time to go off on what he did, but he, at one point, he's in India, and he's a main speaker at this convention. And he gets up in this day, and he, he puts his white suit on, he's all cleaned up, and they send a limousine to bring him to this big conference to speak. And while he's going to the conference, they turn a corner, and here, as you may know, in India, they have a caste system. And here is one of the untouchables, the lowest class. They're considered untouchable. They are so low of um, humanity. And here's one of them lying in a gutter. Now, their gutters are not like our gutters. 
It's their sewage flows through their gutters. And this, this untouchable, nobody knows his name, nobody cares about him, he's an outcast of society, is dying in a gutter. And as they turned the corner, Brother Osborne, he said, it wasn't me. He said, suddenly the love of God rose up in me and I told my driver to stop. And he said, I got out of it and I went down. I got down on my knees to this man and I got down and I lay in the gutter with him and I held him in my arms while he died. And I heard that story and my logical mind said, well, first of all, imagine the humility to be able to get down in your white suit and now you've got to go stand in front of a crowd with stuff on you, all right? But that didn't seem to matter to God. God cared enough about that, un- that man that nobody knew, nobody cared about at the moment of his death to have him held in the arms of somebody to show God's love for him. That's how far God's love will go. God's love will go to the depths of society the most depraved part of a society. God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then the heights, God will go to the heights of of society. See, we tend to look at and say, I I worked in a very prestigious law firm with very wealthy men. I wasn't one of them. And God's love and compassion was for them also. Now here's what this means to us. As we begin to receive that love, that love will challenge us to expand the borders of who we're willing to love and whom we're willing to let God care for through us. And this is what we're going through right now. This is what I'm going through right now. You may be going, you may be in the best place anybody can, but I'm being challenged in this. I'm being challenged with inner attitudes that I didn't know were there. And I'm having God challenge me to be willing to lay down the boundaries of what I'm willing to do, of where I'm willing to go. I had to go this week because God told me to go to heal a situation. I didn't want to get on a plane in the middle of this thing. I didn't want to go through airports in the middle of this thing. And I didn't want to have to deal with issues I may want to have to deal with which may be painful. But it was the love of God in me to work in a relationship, to bring healing in a relationship and restoration in a relationship that made me get on those planes. And as I did, the more you do that, the more you're willing to let God push you beyond your boundaries, the more of God's love begins to flow through you. I'm getting ahead of myself. And the more of God's love begins to flow through you, and the more of it you begin to experience for yourself. So this love is based on the heart of the one who loves. Second, we're knowing this love. This love is self-sacrificing. That's the core of what this love is like. It's self-sacrificing. Because the root of this love is my value of you more than my value of myself, what happens in this love is you don't even notice the price you're paying. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan we talked about last week? That's a powerful story for today, this time we're in. Because Jesus was challenging the religious leaders, the pastors, the ministers of his day. He was challenging them by saying, you're doing all the right things, but do you really care? Because the lawyer tried to define the limits of who he was to love or care for. And that was a mistake with Jesus because Jesus gave him the same standard Jesus lived by. 
He said, well, who is my neighbor? And he told the story of the Samaritan that was willing to cross the racial lines, that was willing to go. He didn't count the cost of what it was going to take to heal that man to the point that he told the innkeeper, I'll pay whatever this costs. He wasn't looking at the cost. He was looking at the hurt and the injury to see that man restored. And when we begin to, thank, when we begin to see the hurting and the pain and the struggles of our brothers and sisters... We won't count the cost because what they are going through or whatever somebody needs will move us far more than what it's going to cost us. Imagine if God counted the cost. When He looked at you and me and He looked at His Son and said, Nah, they're not worth it. But that love compelled Him. For God so loved the world that He gave. And in His give, He gave sacrificially. And so this love is sacrificial. It, it esteems others as more valuable than ourselves because that's the heart of God. If we looked at Jesus and His glory and who He is and we really saw ourselves in God's eyes as God sees us, there's no way He would come for us. But God doesn't see us that way. Your value to Him, my value to Him is not because I'm good or bad. Or I'm, it's because I need Him. His love is, self, is self-sacrificing love. Because God's love is rooted in His devotion to us, His motive is always based on what we need, whatever the cost. True love does not count the cost. Romans 5.8 says, He demonstrated His love for us by giving Christ Jesus to die in our place while we were deserving of death and condemnation. He took our place. So we're talking about knowing this love. First of all, it's based on the heart and the eye of the one that loves. Second, it's self-sacrificing. Third, it is all, all giving. This kind of love gives first. It gives without knowing ahead of time whether it's going to be returned back again. Because this kind of love doesn't care whether that love's received or given back. This kind of love gives because it's the nature of this love to give. And it gives first... It gives everything up front. And it gives without requiring anything back. Romans 8, 32, one of my favorite verses, says, He who spared not his own son. Think about that. He spared not. He didn't hold on to his own son. Spared not his own son. But he delivered him up for us all. Black, white, rich, poor, young, old, smart, not so smart, stubborn, docile, good, bad, ugly. He delivered him up for us all. How will he not also together with him, and it implies at the same time, freely Give us all things. So it's all giving. So we've got to know it. The second thing John tells us in verse four, chapter 4, verse 16 of 1 John, we have to believe it. It's different knowing it and believing it. You can know something in your head, you can know something as a doctrine, but do you believe it? Because when you believe something, you receive it in your heart. When you believe something, it begins to have an impact on you. It begins to change you. 
There are people out there that believe in Christ, but to believe in the Son of God means I've received Him in my heart and He's having an effect on me. He's beginning to bring change into my life. So this love, we have to also receive it. Most of us know God loves us. We have a head knowledge of it. But the evidence of whether we really believe it is are we acting on it. It means to receive it in our heart. And the third thing that John tells us here, and this is the real thing I wanted to get to, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. If God is love, it's impossible to abide in him and not to abide in his love. Let's talk about what the word abide means. You all know it because you abide. To abide means to live in as your permanent residence. It's the place you, where you live, you eat, you sleep. Though you go out into the world to do your daily commerce, your work, or whatever you do, it's the place you go back to when you've been doing what you went out there to do. I, I was preparing this again this morning. When I fill out forms applications. When they want to know something about me, they want to know my residence. So part of my identity is where I reside, where I abide. So as a Christian, abiding in Christ is the same thing. John 15, Jesus in his last instructions to his disciples, the thing he's emphasizing to them more than anything else is to abide in him. They know him, they know his principles, they know his teachings, but now he's preparing them for when he's about to turn this over to him and to them and he's about to leave and he's saying, here's the key. See that vine out there? That's me. See the branch that's growing out of the vine? That's you. Think about that. They have the same identity. That branch can do, it can't even live unless it's connected to that vine. And the vine can't do anything unless it does it through the branch that's connected to it. So they both need each other. And they're both dependent on each other. And the strength that that branch has to be held up only comes from the vine. The branch can't hold itself up. The branch can't produce fruit. The branch can only do that as it's joined to and abides in and is one with the vine. And these are concepts we can say, yes, I know that. Yes, that's great, Pastor. But I'm learning. I'm in a place, I'm on a journey I've never been on before because I'm actually learning how to apply this in my everyday situations. When all of this COVID-19 hit, I mean, I don't know about the other pastors, it was overwhelming for me. What are we going to do? Especially when we're going to go locked down, we can't meet at church. What's going to happen to the money? What's going to happen to people? Are they going to just drift away? What's going to, what's, what's, what's going to, and I don't know what to do. And then suddenly I remembered, wait a minute, I don't have to. This isn't an assignment God gave me and said, I'll see you at the end and I'll tell you how well you did. I'm abiding in Him. So I began to just turn inside and say, Lord, I don't know what to do here, but this is our problem together. I'm abiding in You. So as that branch holds on to the 
divine, I'm holding on to you. And whatever you want to do through me, whatever you want to say through me, whatever you want to produce through me, it's got to come from you. And the strength to do it has to come from you. To travel last week, this last week, to go through four airports on four planes, I didn't want to do that. But the grace and the peace and the strength to do that came because I'm learning to abide in Him wherever I go. And I'm really just beginning this journey. But I want to take you on it. It began a year or so ago when I began to follow Him. And He showed me it's another level. I don't just follow Him. It's follow Him in Him and abide in Him. Acts 17, 28. Paul, in explaining this to the, to the, to the, the Greeks in, in Athens, said, In Him we live and move and have our being. Now how do we do that? We just looked at John, 1 John 4.16. Let's go back there a second. First John 4.16. I just had it. There we go. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And here is where I think most of us miss it. Because I've tried so hard to receive God's love before giving it out. And I don't mean I don't love people, but at that level, at this kind of love. And, and what we want, Lord showed me this image. He said, we want, we want God, but we don't want the responsibility of walking in this kind of love. That's like saying, I want to I go, go swim in the swimming pool, but I don't want to get wet. I want to get cooled off of the swimming pool in the hot weather, but just don't, just don't want to get wet. You can't separate the wet from the water. And you can't separate God from this kind of love. So you cannot abide in Him unless you're abiding in this kind of love. So the good news is the way to know God more, the way to abide in God is for us to begin to abide in this kind of love, to dwell in this kind of love. And it's so easy to love God this way, but the way we grow in God, loving God this way is to love God this way, in the practical application of our relationships and in our lives. In fact, our, our Christianity really has no greater value and meaning than it does in the way we apply it in our everyday lives. John says this earlier. He says, if you say you love God and you, you hate your, your neighbor, how can you do that? How can you hate your neighbor who God created and say you love God? No, the way we love one another is an exact representation of the way we love God because God is love. So you cannot love God and not love the people that God made. That, now, these are challenging things to look at honestly at myself and say, do I really love people that way? And sometimes we don't want to look at that, but understand this, God loves you. God loves me. He's challenging in us in this because He's trying to expand our hearts. So, and we'll see, I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, Lord, I got it going here. Okay. We cannot know God apart from living in His love for other people since He is love. We cannot separate anything about God from abiding in this love. Now remember, you abide in your home. So abiding in His love is the same thing. I have to live in that. 
I may get distracted from it at times. I may have to get busy doing something else. But I've always got to come back to that. And the more we learn to come back to it, the more it becomes a part of us. If you are, in, if you are a Christian, you are already in Christ. Because when you opened your heart to receive Christ, the Bible says God fused you with Him. His Spirit came into you to make you alive unto God. Romans 8 talks about that. If you have His Spirit, then you are in Christ. All right? But it's growing in the, it's abiding in Him. You're in Him. Just like I was in my house last night when I was asleep, but I wasn't conscious I was in my house. But I was still there. But when I go home today, and if it's hot, turn the air conditioning on, and I settle down on either in the back porch or wherever I settle down, and I know I'm in my house. I can experience in my house. So you are in Christ. You are in Him, but we don't experience it because we're not experiencing that love because He is love. Am I making any sense? Some of you. Okay, all right. All right. Don't give me a token nod. I want to know. If... All right. He wants to fill our hearts and our whole lives with this love. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3. This is that prayer I've been praying for years. For this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Listen to this. The prayer that Paul was praying for the church was that they be strengthened with might. That word is dunamis, the Greek word for the power of God, the ability of God. So somehow... What he's about to ask God to do for us requires the Holy Spirit to give us God's ability to do this. So this is not just have a warm feeling towards somebody. That Christ, and this is what we need this ability to do, that Christ might dwell in your hearts. Oh, not only are we to dwell in Him, but He wants to dwell in us. Now, now when He moves in, he brings all the in-laws, the kids, the stuff, everything else he, who is in his life, he brings to move in with you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right? Whenever somebody moves in, whatever they are, when we got married 53 years ago, she didn't know all that she was getting with me. She knew the handsome young face, the full head of hair, you know? She didn't know the baggage I was bringing from my childhood. Not physical baggage, emotional baggage. I didn't know things that she was bringing, but we brought them in when we came together. When you invite Christ into your life, He brings into you things you don't know you're getting. And you may not want it first, but when He moves in, He moves in with it all. And the major thing He moves in with is His love for other people. And His love for other people in you will begin to challenge the attitudes we have, the way we talk, if we'll allow Him to. That Christ might dwell in your hearts, live His life in you and through you. So that we may, and that being rooted and grounded in love, look, it's all love because that's God, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, 
with passes knowledge. So this is not a, a rational thing. Look at this. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants to fill you. He wants to fill this church with all of His own fullness. But since His very essence is love, He wants to fill us with His love. But we, if, if he's, his, the nature of His love is it's, it can't stay in you. His love is for other people. And it will flow out of you. And as it flows out of you, it will fill you with His love for you. You can't get in the water and not get wet. Water can't flow through a hose and the hose not get wet. And to know by experience. Verse 20. Now to Him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. What we're talking about this morning, when we look at ourselves and we look at the situation of the world today and we look at even the situation maybe that's going on in your family or even in this church, it can look overwhelming. How could this ever happen? Because it's not through our ability. Now unto Him, not you or me, now unto Him who's able to do exceedingly or abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that's going to come down out of heaven and change us. That's not what it says. According to the power that's already at work in you and in me. See, part of what moved into you when Christ moved into you was His Spirit and the power of God to transform and to change your heart. When God began to work this in me and I began to honestly look at my heart and realize, God, I don't love people I mean really love them with this kind of love the way you do. When I began to face that, because it's not easy to face, especially when you're a pastor. doesn't mean I don't love you, but not this kind of love. In human love, there's limits of how far we're willing to go. That's what the lawyer and the Good Samaritan brought out. And I said, God, I'm I'm not willing. I have have limits on how far I'm willing to go, me. But I want to change. I'm asking you to bring change into my heart to do what it is you want me to do, to care the way you want me to care. And it will confront attitudes we have. It will confront our comfort zones and we all have borders on how, far, how, how comfortable we want to be. But understand this. As Christians, we were not called to a comfortable life. We were not called to be happy. Ooh, I thought that's a good... No. In fact, we're called to die to ourselves. When you die to yourself, then you get the joy of Christ flowing out of you. The, resurre- the life... See, the reason the life is not flowing out of us and the love's flowing out of us is we haven't really died to self yet. And this is what he's after. This is what we talked about for so much of last year. The Holy Spirit is after getting you and me to die to myself. Because He knows on the other side of that death is the same resurrection Christ experienced. It's the life of God on the other side of that death. Every problem you have in your life that you're struggling with ultimately goes back to you. Just as me goes back to me. I hope you're getting something out of this. 
I've been reading a book by Andrew Murray called Abide in Christ, Thoughts on the Blessed Life and Fellowship of the Son of God. I stumbled on this book. It's it's about John 15. And that's what I've been living in. Abide in me and meditating on what does it mean to abide in you? Because there are amazing promises if we abide in Him. John 15, 7, if if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Father, you will. No, no, but you see, if you're abiding in Him, you're abiding in love. So you'll never ask for something that's not asked for out of love. So I've been really focused, and I discovered this book, and it's just opening my understanding of it. So I want to read uh, points out of, a, a, out of one of the sections of this. Listen carefully. In Christ, when God sent Him to the earth, this divine love that we're talking about, this self-sacrificing, unselfish, eternal, all-giving love, that love that God has had because he's, God's always had, suddenly was alive in the heart of a man, Jesus. And when he walked among men on this earth, this kind of love was given from one heart of a man to other men and women as He set them free, as He healed them, as He delivered them from bondage, as He came to express that love for people. It was the love of God that we've been talking about for people that didn't deserve it, that deserved what they were getting, but He was pouring God, this kind of love out from a man, God's Son, to other men and women. And then He paid the price so that that can be available to us And then he turned this love over to the church so that the love that he's put in our hearts is this same love. Romans 5, 5 says, for the hope does not disappoint because the love of God, this love we're talking about, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So if you're in Christ, he's in you and this love is already in you. So what is it like, what does this love do, and what is it like to have this life in the life of a disciple? Remember, Christ modeled it in the earth. Philippians 2, we'll go through these quickly. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, in other words, think this way, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. So the first thing this love does is it's not concerned with its reputation. It's not concerned with how people see it. He was fully entitled because he was equal with God and he set aside his rights. He set aside what he was entitled to for others. And he made himself of no reputation. That means he emptied out of himself all the attributes that made him who he was, his divine power, his divine glory, taking on the form of a bondservant. So the second thing we see is here's God coming to earth, and what does he come to do? He comes as a bondservant to serve us. This is what that love does. And he came in the likeness of men. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself even more to become obedient to the point of death and the death on a cross. So this love, first of all, is willing to be identified with us. We talked about this last week. God, willing to become one of us, to identify with us. 
Because that's what this love does. It cares enough to say, I want to understand. It cares enough to say, I want to feel what you're going through. If you're the parent of a child, when they're born, when they're a baby, and they start crying, and they're, and they're struggling with something wrong with them, a, a mother's child, of parent's love, they can't stand, so they have to do something. Remember the first time we brought our first child home, and the doctor's advice to us is, look, they're going to cry, let them cry unless you can tell it's a cry for something's wrong because they're going to want to be held. And you've got to let them learn just because they cry, you're not going to come in and pick them up. And then he said these words were, were necessary. He says, I've been a doctor for 30-some years. I have never seen a child die from crying. I've seen parents almost die. Why? There's something in a parent. I can't stand to hear my cry, child cry. I've got to fi- fix it. I've got to find out what's wrong. That's what the love of God is like. It compelled him to come here and to be identified with, to become one of us. And it compelled him to do whatever it took to redeem us so he could have us, even to the point of humbly dying. And the death on a cross, when time to go into this morning, was the most humble death possible. To hang naked before a world and everybody saw your suffering and to pay the ultimate price. Matthew 5, this is in our relationships with one another. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, this is Jesus talking, and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge over to the officer and the officer throw you to prison. So God's saying his priority is this, get your relationships with one another in love before you can come and express your love to me. In other words, your expression of your love to me, God says, doesn't mean anything unless you're giving that same love to one another. And uh, Matthew 5.43 You have heard it said, and you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the Old Testament said. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now he's starting to expand our limits, but isn't that what he did? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's when you'll find out whether we're walking in this love or not, when we start getting people that hate us and despise us and say evil against us, especially when it's not deserved. When we start defending ourselves and responding and start striking back, we're not walking in His love because His love did not strike back. If He struck back, we'd all be a pile of grease on the floor. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you just love those who loved you, what reward have you? Even the tax collectors do the same. That was an insult. But if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? So look, there's nothing different about that kind of love. Therefore you shall be perfect or mature or complete, just as your Father in heaven is complete. And finally, Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens, and by doing that you fulfill the law of Christ. To grow in this love is not easy and it's not comfortable. If it were, it'd be, it would be done. It's not easy and it's not comfortable. And we'll make mistakes. We'll be confronted as our attitudes, our will, our desire, our priorities are, are, are challenged. 
to change as God works in our hearts to conform us to this love which is His nature in us. Philippians chapter 1 says, says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. We often quote the last part of that, for it's God that's at work in me, to will and to do His good pleasure. But the first part of that verse is, yeah, but because of that, because it's God that's at work in us, His holy God, work it out with Him in fear and trembling. In other words, reverence for who it is that wants to challenge our attitudes and to help us to grow. And I want to close by just reading a chapter. It's called the love chapter. And this is, this is written in the middle of a section where Paul is correcting a church that was very spiritual. They had the miracles happening. They had the gifts of the Spirit flowing. People were prophesying, speaking in tongues in church and doing all kinds of outward demonstrations. And it, on, on the, if you walked in, you think this was a very spiritual church. But the heart of it was they didn't walk in love with one another. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, that refers to one of the... These all refer to different gifts of the Spirit. But I have not love. This is how God hears it. I've become a noisy brass and a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Why? Because to do anything outside of love is to do it outside of God because God is love. Love, this describes how love acts. Love suffers long and is kind. Going through this yesterday, I realized the connection. While it's suffering long, it's still kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up or arrogant. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and here's our hope. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. This is the spiritual things in church. Where there's knowledge, the gift of knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, this is where we are, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect, that's Christ, when it comes, then what is in part will be done away with. This is where we all are. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, when I became like Christ, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when we see him, it will be face to face. Now I know him in part, but then I shall know him just as I am known. Now abides faith, hope, and love. These three but the greatest of these, the greatest of these, because it's God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, because in order to come to God, you must believe that He is, and He's a reward of order of those who diligently seek Him.
Hope is what our faith gives substance to. So you can't have faith without hope. But if we don't have love, everything we do is outside of God. Because God is love. So when we react and we get angry, or in this situation, when we harden our hearts to what's going on with brothers and sisters of ours, even in this church, who are hurting and going through a difficult time and are having to deal with not just the brutality that's in the news against people of their race, but, but, but they deal with things you and I don't even understand because they're subtle. If we love them, we'll want to understand them. We'll care. We'll help, want to help bear their burden. I can't bear that burden because I don't go through that, but I can bear it by listening I learned that so much in this week when I went in this situation in a family. Just to listen. Just to listen. Just to care enough to put aside my answers, whether hurt, all, just to listen communicates the love of God. And that's the theme I'm hearing from other pastors. I'm hearing we need just to listen, but listen with our hearts. Not listen with our minds coming up with answers. Allow our hearts to be touched one for another. And when we begin to do that, then the love of God in this place will become tangible. People, when they can walk in that door, will feel it. When you walk, you can feel strife and you can feel love. God is here to create that atmosphere of love. But it's got to be beyond the surface things that we've done. It's got to be beyond I love you, hug you, how you doing, fine, that's great. You know, it's got to be willing to be sacrificial in that love. It's got to be willing to give of our hearts, our time, whatever that may mean. We've got to be willing to walk in that kind of... And when we're willing to step in it, the love of God in us will enable us to walk it out. We'll never run out of God's love when we begin to give it away to one another. And it starts here. It starts in our home. It starts in our families. It starts here in this church. And then it starts with other churches. And then it goes out into the community because you can't contain it here. You can't contain it inside the walls of this building. I'm done. (laughs) I'm going to finish. Praise the Lord. In a moment, we're going to remind you that we, we're not yet doing, as far as I know, we're not yet doing live Wednesday nights here. We'll look to start that soon, maybe. But we'll have our Bible, we'll have our, our prayer. We'll go back to prayer this Wednesday night. Um, but before we close the service, we're going to close in just a minute. As we did last week, what we're going to do is we're going to end with a worship song. And then I will, while we're singing that, I will dismiss by section so that we can go out in a way that, that, that honors the social distancing that is required of us and that we want to honor. But before we do that, I don't ever want to end a service without giving somebody that may be here, but more importantly, I think somebody that may be watching online. Again, thank you for being part of this service. I don't believe that you've tuned this in today by accident. Maybe you're out there and you say that you've talked about this love of God and and we're living in such a, a hateful world right now and we are. And, 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 you know, my life has got that in it, whether it's in you or you've been living in a hateful situation or you're just scared because we don't know what's happening in this world and it seems out of control. Or maybe everything's just going well for you. God loves you this morning so much. 
you can't begin to comprehend how much God loves you. And you may be sitting there or standing there saying, but he, but he can't. He, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the attitudes I've had. But God does. And He knew them before you were ever born. The Bible says He knew them before the foundation of the world. And before the foundation of the world, God had already decided because of His love for you. He saw you before the foundation of the world. God had already decided ahead of time that He was going to send His Son to this earth at an appointed time to take your sins upon Him and pay for your sins so that He could give to you His righteousness, that you could become a child of God and come into the family of God and into the kingdom of God so that when you breathe your last breath, you have an absolute confidence that you will open your eyes in the presence of a God who loves you. This is what He's done for you. This is how much He loves you. But there's only one thing required of you. You have to receive this, and that's an act of faith. So what you need to do, and I'm going to help you in just a minute, you need to simply invite this Jesus into your life and receive Him as God's gift to you, the one that paid for your sins. And if you'll do that this morning, He'll do all the rest of it. He'll come in. He'll fill you with His presence. He'll join you to Himself. He'll take your sins and pay for them. And He'll open the doors into His kingdom for you. And maybe you've done that before and you've just wandered away from Him and you're just struggling right now and, and you've wandered away from Him and, and, and you want to come back. Or maybe you're here in this congregation and you're, one of those two categories applies to you. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We're all going to pray it together. And then I'm going to give you some instructions. All you need to do is mean this as best you can. That's all you can do. God hears your heart. So all of us say this, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for loving me this much. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. F forgive me for all my sins. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you prayed that for the first time, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're here or you prayed that and recommitted your life, I'm going to ask you at the end of the service... Pastor Michael, are you going to be in there? Pastor Michael's going to be in our coffee place in there. There's no coffee, but there's much better things for you in there. And he has some information to give you. If you're watching online, I'm going to ask you tomorrow morning that you would call.